Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Take your Bibles out, turn to Matthew chapter 12. Fall is just around the corner. It means two marvelous, great things. First of all, it means football season is on us. Yeah, all the guys said. And second, it means groups are getting ready to start up. Yeah. Everybody going to get connected with a group, get plugged in somewhere, get involved in ministry. And uh, so sign up on your way out of the groups fair. Find out what group uh, fits you the best, is in your area or here somewhere. Uh, I want to welcome everybody here today. So good to have you today. If you're a guest with us, thank you so much for coming, being here with us today at Faith Assembly. Uh, for those who are watching by streaming, we are the numbers are growing every week. There are more and more people streaming live online. We have uh, people all around the world watching our service today. So we welcome you guys as well, or by television or on the internet. But uh, we welcome all of you here today as well. Let's stand together as we read God's word this morning. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard him debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important important one, answered Jesus, is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor As yourself, there is no commandment greater than these. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. Your word is powerful and quick, and I pray, God, it would do its intended work today. I pray, God, it will find fertile ground. I pray you'll help me as I bring forth your word this morning. Open up our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us, and we give you all the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. You know, when you really enjoy something or someone, nobody has to convince you or persuade you or make you feel guilty to participate in that activity or be around that person. You just love being around that person. You love being involved in that kind of activity. And so you don't have to convince somebody, make them feel guilty about whether they're going to do that or not. I've got some hobbies that I enjoy doing very much. I like to golf and uh, golf's a lot of fun. And so if someone says, hey, let's go golfing, if I'm free on my schedule, they don't have to beg me to golf. I'm just going to go. I'm going to be there, love to kayak. I enjoy scuba diving. And so when they call and say, let's do this or that, I'm in. Uh, How many like to eat? Let me see your hand. You you don't have to convince somebody it's it's time to eat. You don't have to beg them to come and sit at the dinner table and sit down and eat a nice meal or do those kind of things. All they got to do is say the words, dinner time, and I'm there, right? You know what I'm talking about. And so when you really enjoy an activity or you enjoy someone or you enjoy doing something, you don't have to beg them to come. Now listen to me. Mark chapter 12 I read it to you earlier, said the chief end and purpose of all of us, the number one thing above everything else in our life is to love God. 
We are called upon to love God and what a joy it is loving the Lord. And so the chief end of man is to love God and enjoy him forever. That's who we are. That's why we were made, why we were created. Now here's my point I want to make to you. When you love God, you don't have to be persuaded to give. Don't be begged or conjoled or long messages before every time we take an offering. If, if you love God, you just naturally give. If you love God, you don't have to beg somebody to serve. It's just who we are. We're servants and we serve and we find a place of ministry and we get involved. If we love God, you don't have to beg people to praise the Lord. We don't have to say, come on guys, praise God, get your hands up, do something now, get involved, let's all enter in. When you really love God, you don't have to convince somebody to do that. It is natural response of loving the Lord. When you really love God and he's above everything else, you don't have to convince somebody to pray and beg them to pray and say, oh, it's your duty. You gotta do this. You gotta pray. You gotta pray 20 minutes a day. You gotta do this and that and everything else. And, and we can make it seem so legalistic, but I believe if we will begin to learn how to love God, all these things will begin to fall in place naturally. Don't have to beg them to do what they enjoy doing. It is all about loving God. In John chapter 3, 29, there's an incredible verse, and there's this analogy of a bride and a bridegroom. And John the Baptist is talking about himself and his relationship to the bridegroom. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete." Now, John calls himself, and this is not necessarily an analogy of Jesus Christ being the bridegroom of the church of the bride. You'll, you'll pick up that later in the book of Ephesians. John is simply using an analogy. He simply says when there's a wedding going on and you have the bride and the bridegroom, you have what is known as the best man. It's the guy's best friend. And where does he stand? He stands as close as he can to the bridegroom. And he says he hears the bridegroom's voice. And when he hears the bridegroom's voice, when it's announced the bridegroom is coming, when the bridegroom begins to speak and begins to talk, he said, my joy is complete in hearing the voice of the bridegroom. I want to tell you, every one of us in here today are friends of the bridegroom. And so our greatest joy should be hearing his voice, hearing what God has to say, what God is speaking, what God wants us to learn, what God wants us to know. So I want to tell you when our joy is full, when we learn how to hear his voice. So I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about how do we hear the voice of the Lord? How do we learn to hear that voice and distinguish that? Uh, this morning, I want you to shift your thinking of prayer and fasting. And by the way, I'm going to let you know right now, tomorrow we're starting a week-long fast, and we're going to talk about that and why fasting is so important in our lives. But I want you to view prayer and fasting not as a drudgery, not as a chore, not as a duty, but an opportunity to love God. It's just loving God and getting us in a position where we can learn how to hear the bridegroom's voice. And when we hear his voice, our joy is full. Song of Solomon, incredible love letter. It just reads like a love letter. It's an amazing, amazing little book in the Old Testament. But you find in Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 14, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in, in the hiding place on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. 
That's, that's, that's incredible love language there. And you get the picture of the lover and his beloved. He says, let me behold your face and let me hear your voice. Let me behold your face and let me hear your voice. I, I, I want to propose something to you. Loving God implies intimacy. It's more than just saying, I love God. It's too easy for us to come to church and say, I love God. If we really love God, then we're going to be intimate with him and close to him, and we're going to want to hear his voice. We're going to get in a place where we can behold the face of our Lord and spend time in his presence and learn how to distinguish the voice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's about knowing God intimately. In the Bible, there's a word, know, and you see it several different times in the word of God, but many times when it's used, it's refers to, it can refer to sexual intimacy. For example, I read Matthew 1 and 25, and it's talking about Joseph. And Joseph knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called, he called his name Jesus. Now, that verse does not mean that Joseph did not know Mary. He didn't know who she was. He didn't know her personally. He didn't know about her. That's not what it means. It means he didn't have sexual union with her until after Jesus Christ was born. Okay, when he discovered she was pregnant, he married her, but they waited until after the birth of the baby to consummate the marriage. And so, so he knew her after Jesus Christ was born. The word there is no. Now, now, what I want to propose to you, if we are really going to know God and love God, it implies an intimacy of relationship with him. Our primary purpose in prayer is about relationship. It is about knowing God. It is about beholding his face. It is about hearing his voice. In that, our joy is full. Prayer is not just coming to him and begging him for our needs. It's out of relationship with the Lord we learn to hear his voice. So when you say, I know God, I, I, I don't want you to just say, I know about God, or I know who he is, or I know what I believe, but do you know God personally? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you spend time with him? Do you know him intimately? Do you really, really know God? To love God is to know him, and to know God is to love him. I, uh, the first time I had kind of a girlfriend, I was about 14 years old, and I had a little girlfriend, and uh, I was socially awkward, still am a little socially awkward, but I was really bad when I was a young teenager, and uh, I was with this girl, and I'd probably been with her like all of one day, you know, and, uh, and so when, you, when you're nervous, what do you do? You say stupid stuff, Right? And so I was nervous, and I was around her, and I was holding her hand, and my hands were sweaty, and my palms were sweaty, and, and I was trying to make a good impression on her, and I didn't know what to do or what to say. And so in my nervousness, I just turned to her and said, I love you. <laughs> you guys, you've all done it. And she looked at me, and she said something. She says, you know, love is a really big word. And I, I didn't know what to say. I, I, so I, I looked at her and I said, I thought for a minute, I said, you're right, I don't love you. <laughs> but she had a point. Love is a big word. And the next woman I told I love would be my wife. 
Many times we use the language of love to get something in return. We will say, I love you. We use that language. We use flattery. We say love. Men, when they say they love a lady, they usually do it to get romance. It's not love. It's really lust because they're looking to get something in return. Love wants to give. Love is all about giving. And the word of God says, for God so loved that he gave. So love involves giving. Now, when we, when we tell God how much we love him, if we are saying that to get something, if we're trying to manipulate God, if we come in his presence, oh God, I love you, I love you, I love you so much, now give me this and this and this and this. I, I question, is it real love? When we come to him with our list and it's all about me and what God can do for me, listen to me here, we are seeking his hand. Loving God is about seeking his face. It goes back to the Psalm of Solomon. I I seek your face because I want to hear your voice. I want to spend time with you. I want to know you. I want to know what your will is. I want to hear your voice. I want to spend time in your presence. I just want to love on you. Show me your face. Let me hear your voice. It is the essence and starting point of all prayer. Prayer is more about intimacy than it is getting what we want. Now, this relationship is made possible by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, we cannot come into his presence. We cannot spend time with him. And so Christ died on the cross so that we could be intimate with him and know him in a very real, personal, loving way. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Look at verse number 10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. Now what, this is an Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, this has all been now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So that's the background. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me. He's saying through the blood, through the new covenant, we can all know the Lord. And it's not about an external law. It is not about the big 10 commandments or all the other laws that were given in the Old Testament. He says, I'm going to put my law in their minds. They will know me intimately. They will know my will, my law, my way. I will write it in their hearts. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Four things he says there. Get this real quick. Number one, I will put my law in their minds. God wants to reveal his will to you. His will is not a secret, it's not a mystery, it's not something we gotta guess at or grab in the dark at or we wonder what God wants out of our life. God says, after the new covenant, I'm gonna put my law right in their minds. They will know my will and my ways. Wow. I will put my, next he says, I will write it in their hearts. All of a sudden, our desire and our motivation to do the will of God comes out of a heart relationship with him. And because of the new covenant, because of this this covenant I'm making with the house of Israel, which is all of us who are the seed of Abraham, I'm going to put my law inside their hearts. They're going to want to serve me out of a heart relationship. 
you're not going to have to be begged to do something or, or brought guilt upon you or we're going to make you feel really bad when you come to church so then you're going to go out and serve God and I don't want to serve God but the preacher says I have to. I really don't want to pray but you know the preacher says I got to do it every day and we make you feel so guilty we guilt you into serving God but he says there's a new covenant. There's a new relationship. My want to changes because I want to be with Jesus. I want to know the Lord. Mm. Number three, he says twice, and they will know me. Verse 11, all they will know me. My man will say, know the Lord, because they will all know me. We can know God personally, not just know about him, but we can know God intimately. We can have a relationship with our creator, and we get close enough that we can learn to hear the voice of the bridegroom. And the Bible says in that there is full joy to know him intimately through conversation. How does that happen? Through prayer. How do we know God intimately? Through those times alone with God in prayer. Waiting in his presence. Talking to him. Listening to his voice. Just basking in his glory. The third thing, fourth thing he says is in their sins will be forgiven aren't you glad because the new covenant every sin can be taken away now listen to me if you're here this morning i want you to get this if you feel like the spark is gone if you feel like your love has grown cold somewhere along the way and your the, the love is just kind of all drained out of you if you feel like i can't hear his voice anymore it's gotten really fuzzy and i don't want to know what god's will is and i have trouble hearing the lord jesus christ i have good news for you a hard heart need not be terminal god can take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh Turn to Ezekiel chapter 11, another prophecy from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 11, look if you would at verse number 18. He saw a day, even though Israel was hard, even though they were away from God, even though they were in their idolatry, he saw a day coming. Look at verse number 18. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, for they will all follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. He is talking about that new covenant age, that age when we would be God's people, have relationship with him, and he would be our God. And he says, I will take that hard heart, that heart of stone that is away from me, and I will give them a heart of flesh. And there will be a living, breathing, vital relationship with God. And if you have a hard heart today, and you're cold, and you're dry spiritually, what's he telling them to do? In order to get this, he says, turn from your idols and repent and turn to the living God. And when you do that, he says, I'll give them a brand new heart. That's that forgiveness thing I was talking about. God will give you a new and tender heart. Intimacy with God is the key to all praying. All praying is about relationship. It's about intimacy with God. It's about knowing God and him knowing us. It's about getting so close, so close to the bridegroom that we can hear his voice. Even when he whispers, we'll hear his voice. Now, out of that intimacy, follow me here, 
comes fruitfulness. Fruitfulness and blessing. If you want to be fruitful in your life, just get close to God. Birth is the natural byproduct of intimacy. When a man and woman get, woman get together, what do they do? They have kids. If we want to see spiritual births in the kingdom of God, if we want our lives to be fruitful and productive in God's kingdom, what is the key to all of it? Just get close to the Lord. Listen to Mark 4 and 20. Other like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30-fold, 60-fold, or even 100 times what was sold. What was the difference in the four kinds of soils? It's the person who hears the word and does the word of God. What happens? He becomes a fruitful believer, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Some seed, the word fell on stony ground. Others, it fell on good soil, but the, the cares of the life choked it out. Others fell by the wayside, and the birds came and took away the seed of the word of God. But those who hear the word and receive it and let it get down into your spirits produce fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold. So what do we do? How do we know to hear the voice of God? Get close to the Lord. Spend time with him in prayer. Learn to hear his voice, and you will be a fruitful believer. Mm. Children are born out of lovemaking. Now, either that lovemaking is legitimate or illegitimate. It is in wedlock or it is out of wedlock. The church can marry Madison Avenue or Hollywood or Wall Street and go through all their man-made methods and still not have spiritual birth. They may have birth, but it will be illegitimate. The Bible says that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. So you can attract a crowd. People will come to see what's going on But is it born out of prayer, and is it spiritual birthing, or is it illegitimate, adopting our man-made carts? And you got to go back to the last series to get that, but you that were here got it. Galatians 4 says, Abraham, he had births. He had two births. He had Ishmael and Isaac. He said, Ishmael was born after the flesh. Ishmael is a type of Mount Sinai. Ishmael, he had intercourse with an Egyptian, Hagar, an Egyptian slave. And out of that came an illegitimate birth. It was not God's plan. It was not God's intention. He was not the promised seed. But it says in Galatians chapter 4, the child born by Sarah was the child of promise, and that represented freedom and joy and life and the promised seed of God. And he said that was born of the Spirit. When you are intimate with the Lord in prayer, out of that comes spiritual birth and fruitfulness in your life. I want you to listen to me here, and I'm not not knocking this stuff, just hear me. The early church, the early church had no CDs, no television, no internet, no Christian bookstores, no church buildings, only prayer. And their church grew and multiplied and was fruitful, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Prayer. It was just about knowing God. 
It wasn't their methodology, their slickness, their whatever they were trying to get into. It wasn't, and, and, and what happens, listen to me here. It is possible to depend on all these things, CDs, bookstores, television, everything else, and what happens is we become spiritually lazy because we get all of our knowledge off the late, latest CD or the most recent TV preacher or someone else that is out there, and we hear this stuff all the time, but we are not hearing from God. Prayer, where do we lock ourselves in to the closet and we seek God and we hear his voice and say, God, what are you telling me today? Mm. As we spend time loving the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then the second command comes very easily, love your neighbor as yourself. It's no problem. I love God because I love God. I love what God loves. God loves people, so I love people. And it's easy. Don't have to work it up. Don't have to overcome. Oh, I got I to gotta love this guy. Oh, he just drives me nuts. It's easy. Because I love God. He's a child of God. God has great things in store for faith assembly of God. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to multiply. He wants us to grow. But it all starts out of a love relationship with the Lord. It starts out with intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And loving God implies I will spend time with the bridegroom. I will spend time with him. I will come into his presence. And I will learn to hear his voice. And the Bible says that is an exciting, joyful life. John said just hearing the voice of the bridegroom. He said my joy is full. The bridegroom's come. Jesus has come. This is what we've been waiting for. He's here. He said my joy's full. Wow. I want to give you some practical tips on prayer. Just take your outlines and jot these things down. I'm going to go very quickly through this. But I want to give you some tips and pointers on just how do we pray. And I want to be as practical and as just, just right here so you, you can learn how to pray. And, and I want to help teach you some of these things today. And this is not an all-inclusive list. There are just a few things I jotted down. Number one, let prayer be your first choice, not your last. Sometimes we pray when we're in trouble. And when we, uh, someone's sick, and, uh, or, or we, we go through stuff, and, we, and, and yet sometimes we'll try everything else first, and then if nothing else works, well, I guess we can always pray. And so let prayer be your first choice, not your last. That ought to be the highlight of every day of your life. Number two, let your gaze be on God's face and your glance be on his hands. Let your gaze be on God's face and let your glance be on his hands. And I want to talk about his hands. I'm talking about what God gives us. And so let your gaze be on his face. Spend time in his presence. Spend time loving the Lord. And then glance at your request and your needs and your problems. Now, it's no, don't misunderstand this. I'm not saying in prayer, you can't ask God for what you have need of. He wants us to do that. He wants us to come in and ask him. He wants us to enter in his presence with prayers and supplications and intercessions for those things we have need of. He wants us to cast our cares upon him but let your gaze be on his face first and your glance on his hands number two pray more from conviction not just out of crises pray more from conviction not just out of crises let me let me share something with you parents sometimes you need to start praying for your kids 
when they're in the womb and as they're growing up every day of their life, cover them in prayer, bathe them in prayer. Don't wait till they get in trouble. Oh, we're gonna, I'm, you're, and, and what happens when they turn to drugs and they get involved with other, other people and, and, they're, and get involved in immorality and alcohol and whatever else they may be, the crowd they're running around with, then we get really desperate and we pray out of crises, but we should be praying out of conviction. Uh, God, you keep them, you cover them, you be with them. Begin to pray with the person who they're gonna marry. Pray about the person they're gonna marry. Pray God's gonna keep them pure. Pray God will keep them holy. Pray God will cover your kids, grandparents, Pray for your grandkids. Call them out by name every day. Don't wait till they get in trouble. Pray out of conviction, not crises. Number four, pray in the Spirit and by the Spirit. Listen, this is an amazing spiritual weapon that God has given us in our arsenal of prayer. It, it is very strategic. Romans chapter 8 says, For we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself helps us to pray with groanings that cannot be uttered. I want to encourage you, pray in the Spirit. Pray in that heavenly language. Paul says, I, I, I thank God I pray in tongues more than ye all. He says, I pray with my understanding, and I will pray with the Spirit. I will sing with my understanding, and I will sing with the Spirit. It is, it is a powerful time of intercession and intimacy and waiting on God, and those times we don't know specifically what we ought to pray for. I can pray in the Holy Spirit, and it's directly targeted to the will of God. Mm. Number five, let your prayers be filled with praise. Let your prayers be filled with praise. This is a part of seeking God's face. This is just loving the Lord, uh, worshiping him, spending time in his presence. Let your prayers be filled with praise. Uh, uh, you see that model in the Lord's Prayer. Even as you begin to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so you begin with praise and worship and adoration. Pray specific, not general. Pray specific, not general. You know, it's real easy to sit, get on our knees and say, God, Save the whole world. Just save the world today. God, God, I love everybody, and I want everybody to be. And you know what? We can do that and forget about our neighbor next door. We can be so busy about praying for all the world, and God taps us on the shoulder and says, well, what about loving your next door neighbor and talking to him? And so be very specific in your prayers. Be very direct. Um, this week, we are heading into a week of concentrated prayer and fast. We are calling the whole church body, this whole congregation, to a week of prayer and a week of fasting. And I, and I, and I set it up for you to say this is an exciting week. This is a joy-filled week. It is not a drudgery. It is not, ah, oh, i got to fast. Oh, am I going to die? Oh, will I make it? Can I go one day without food? When you begin to understand the exciting joy of fasting and prayer, it is something we look forward to and anticipate and enter into with joy. We're going to get closer to that bridegroom. We'll be hearing his voice. I want, you to, I want to show you something. Turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Doing okay. I think we're going to make it this morning. Matthew 6 and verse 16. Now, I want you to notice this verse. We've, you've heard it many times, but I think we miss a phrase. It says, and when you fast, 
Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they receive their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. In other words, you don't walk around work. Oh, guys, I'd love to eat with you, but I'm fasting today because I'm really spiritual. Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, so that it will be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is an unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I want you to notice something. We have preached from, I have preached from that passage before. I've talked about that passage. And we, we talk about it in the context of the Pharisee who would fast in public, who would do it so all men could see them, who was very hypocritical about his fasting, so he could appear more spiritual than everybody else. And they, oh, what a holy guy. This guy's fasting again. Man, he just, he is a, what a man of discipline. What an incredible guy. And so we talk about the in secret and the public. But I think we miss something in the text. And it's those last three words, last four words. It says, will reward you. Three words. He will reward you. We miss that phrase. Fasting brings with it, naturally, great reward. It's exciting to fast because as you fast, as you pray, it includes with it its own built-in reward. Hmm. Our fasting is not for God's benefit, but for ours. He will reward you when you fast. Who is the fasting for? Not for God. The fasting is for you. You don't fast to manipulate God to earn his favor. You don't say, God, I've given up 10 meals this week, and now you really owe me one. You cannot make God love you any more or any less than he does right now. You don't fast to earn the favor of the Lord. We fast so that we can be changed. It changes us. It changes our heart, my mind, my life. As we shut out distractions and we center on the Lord, what we are doing is we are opening up our vessels for God to flow through us and in us, and that, my friends, is our great reward. God uses fasting and prayer as a means to change us. Now, I want to give you uh, four rewards real quick. Number one, and these are, there's many, many more. I don't have time to go into all of them. I'm just going to give you four this day. First of all, as we fast, God will begin to reveal things that control our lives. Because we're getting away from food, we're turning off the televisions, we're turning off the internet, we're, we're, we're shutting out distractions, we're focusing in on the Lord, but what happens is that self-examination begins to lead to repentance. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's working in our heart and he says, you know, there's a problem there, there's a problem there, you pray about that one. And we start, we, we allow God to cleanse us and purge us. He says in 1 Samuel 7 verse 6, and on the day they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. And so when you begin to really seek God in prayer and in fasting, it'll begin to reveal pride, anger, bitterness, jealousy, lust, fear. And what happens is then we repent and God changes us and that's the reward. Ah, you're not as excited as I am. Number two. Fasting keeps balance in life. It gets you balanced in life. 
Too often the cares of the world come in and choke out the word of God. And we are so busy and we are so distracted and we are pulled in so many different directions. And these cares weigh in upon us. And those non-essentials crowd out God and they begin to slowly enslave us. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. In other words, yes, in Christ Jesus I am free, and all things are permissible, but they're not all good for me. And there's a lot of stuff we do that is permissible, but it's not all that great for me, and so when I cut out all the distractions, I begin to reprioritize my life. And I get back to the most important thing. It's like the Mary and Martha syndrome. Well, Jesus is in the house. Yes, you need to clean the house. Yes, you need to cook. Yes, you need to do the laundry. But the most important thing when Jesus was there was sitting at his feet. And sometimes we just need to come in, close ourselves off, and sit at his feet and reprioritize our life. Number three, fasting will give you strength in time of battle. There's many stories in the, in the word of God about battles that would be fought by Israel. And what would they do? They would call the nation of Israel to a fast. Jehoshaphat is facing the Ammonites and the Moabites. And they are outnumbered and they're going to get wiped out. What does he do? He calls Israel to a fast. After they fasted, they go out into battle and they win a mighty battle. And so Fasting is a way that our spiritual man is strengthened for those times of warfare and those times of battle. What a great reward. Another reward. Fasting cuts out distractions so we can hear God speak. We center down, shut everything else out, forget about food, forget about all the other junk that's going around us. We get alone with God. We sit in his presence. And then we begin to hear the voice of the bridegroom. And he speaks to us. Acts chapter 13, what happens? The church prays and they fast. And then the Bible says, and then the Holy Spirit spoke. And what's he say? Set apart Paul and Barnabas and send them out. And out of that time of fasting is launched the greatest missionary journey that this world would ever know. And he would later embark on three different missionary journeys and change the whole Roman Empire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What did it come out of? A season of prayer and a season of fasting. Wow. What a reward. Isn't this exciting? Can't you just wait? I I know you're you're getting excited. I, I cannot wait to fast this week. It's going to be awesome. We are coming into a critical time for our church. I'm calling the body of believers right here that call Faith Assembly of God their home to join me in a time of prayer and fasting and waiting on the Lord. I want us to pray for our schools. Listen, we have kids. School just started this last week. All our kids are going back to school. Our schools are battlegrounds. They are war grounds. They are incredible places of warfare. We need to pray for our kids, our young people that go to school. Pray for your kids, your children as they go into school. Pray that God will move on our schools and send a mighty revival among the youth of this nation. We're going to pray for our nation. 
The tragic events at Charlottesville just show how divided this nation is. We need to pray that God will bring a peace in America, that there'll be racial, the racial division that is so sick in the eyes of God, that there'll be harmony that'll begin to come and peace will flow in our land. You need to pray for your president and those leadership and authority over you. We need to pray for our families. Listen, this is a time you have lost loved one, kids that are away from the Lord, prodigal sons and daughters. You begin to get on your face and you say, God save them, God cover them. God, bring them back. God, protect them. God, set them free in the name of Jesus. Let's begin to pray for spiritual births. I want us to see a great, great harvest of souls at Faith Assembly of God, that when the Word of God is preached and conviction comes with the Holy Spirit, men and women will give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they can be transformed by Him. We need to pray for our next campus. We just found property in Ridgeville. We're going to begin uh, the process of closing and then clearing the land, but we need to pray for workers and the unchurched in that area, Ridgeville, uh, St. George, all up in the north part of here. All the growth is going up that way. This is where God has taken faith assembly of God to, and we're going to launch a campus there that's going to be powerful, mighty, and be a witness to that whole surrounding area. So here's what I'm asking you guys to do. This, take this next week. Let's pray fast, wait on the Lord. Let's get really close to the bridegroom. Begin to learn how to hear his voice and say, God, what are you saying? What are you telling me? And he says, when I hear that voice, my joy just goes off the chart. It is phenomenal. It is incredible. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.